uh, were here when we did Lectio Divina the first time around. It's been a few months, uh, but we did a, a way, an ancient way of reading the text in which it uh, started probably third century, and then by the sixth century, uh, the Benedictine monks has, had really picked up on it, and uh, it was a, one of their main practices where they would take a short passage of scripture, usually anywhere from three to ten uh, verses, and then they would uh, put themselves in the story, pray about it, read it again, put themselves in the story, pray about it, read it again, three times. Um, we did it a few months ago, and I want to try it again if everybody's okay with that. So uh, what we'll do is I'll read a prompt, have everybody, uh, you know, kind of work into a, you know, contemplative state, and then I'll read the text, and then we'll, I'll continue to, to prompt this while we read it three times. Sound good? All right, look alive now. All right, so this, this first prompting is just, uh, where do you see yourself in the story as, as I begin to read? Um, place yourself in the story. Uh, if you need to close your eyes, if you uh, will have the text on the screen, it's in the bulletin if you want to read along. Uh, but where do you find yourself in the story this morning? Luke 19, 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through a town. A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed up a sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus, who was about to pass by. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household, because he too is a son of Abraham. The human one came to seek and save the lost. How did it feel to be there in the story? Were you in the crowd? Were you up in the tree? As we read it this second time, imagine what's going on in Zacchaeus' mind during this story. What is he thinking about? What is he expecting from Jesus? Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran and climbed up a sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. 
Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. The human one came to seek and save the lost. What was going through Zacchaeus' mind during this story? What did he feel? Was Zacchaeus anxious, curious, embarrassed, confident? As we read it a third and final time, put yourself back into the crowd. Jesus is about to brush shoulders with you when he realizes that there's a rich man in the tree. What is your reaction as someone in the crowd? Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among the tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran up ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, he has gone to be the guest of the sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. The human one came to seek and save the lost. What did you feel God calling you to notice in the story this morning? What is Jesus' word for you this morning? thank you for uh, your story. We thank you for um, your life and your word that is living in our lives. Uh, we pray that this story would be a present uh, heartbeat within each and every one of us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, how we feel? Yeah.
we do that just uh, as a way to look at stories from different angles sometimes. Uh, I, I find it helpful sometimes for me to place myself within a story. And uh, this is a particularly, how many have heard the story before this morning? Almost everybody has heard it. Does anybody know the song? I know you know the song, right? You want to get up here and sing it? You know it? Just kidding. All right, yeah. You know, it's like everybody know, like kind of grows up. It's like a popular children's story. Um, but there's actually a lot of layers and nuance to this story that uh, even in my first reading earlier this week, I think I really missed um, how in di different and complex this story can kind of be. So what we'll do this morning is we'll, we'll walk through this um, line by line and um, see what we, can, what we can mine from it. So if you want to open up your bulletin, uh, you can follow along, Luke 19. I think we have it up on the screen, too. Um, so in Luke 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho. He was passing through town, and there was our man, Zacchaeus, who, by the way, is a ruler among tax collectors. So if you were here last week, uh, we talked about the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee comes into the church, and he's like, praise to God, I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector. Um, and we all know how that went in. Uh, so now we have back-to-back -back weeks. We have another tax collector, and not just any tax collector, but apparently uh, a ruler of tax collectors, which, by the way, is the only time in the Gospels we get such a title for anybody. So as a storytelling device, the, the, the author is telling us that this person is you know, an overseer. He's sort of the tax collectors of tax collectors. So if you think tax collector is a bad person, then this guy is known as a really, really bad person. He's uh, in charge of all the bad people, really. And at the very end of uh, verse 1, or I mean verse 2, uh, we, we find out that he was what? Rich, right? He had lots of cash. Uh, and we've been going through Luke for a while now, and what we know about Luke is that what happens to rich people in Luke? Yeah, they grumble, but they don't fare well, right? So... Uh, let's go back some, through some of the ones we've just hit on. Luke 6, 20, uh, you have blessed who are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Uh, later in, in chapter 6, woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Uh, the parable of the rich fool, which we talked about in Luke 12, was the guy who built uh, extra barns for himself. He, he made a lot of crop and was like, oh, should I give this away? Oh, no, wait, what I'll do is I'll build extra barns and store up, and that way I can have more for my retirement. Uh, that didn't go well for him. Uh, then in Luke 18, right before this text in Luke 19, we have the story of the rich ruler, which we didn't talk about. Uh, sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Uh, and then Jesus says, mm, oh, how hard is it, though, for uh, who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The, the rich young ruler, obviously, he can't part with his, thing, his things. And um, that's when we have the famous uh, Jesus saying that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone to, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, in Luke, the poor are always the ones that show amazing generosity. We uh, read the story about the poor widow. She was able to give away everything in Luke 21. Um, there, uh, this is uh, no like judgment by God on wealthy people, but this is uh, a motif that Luke is all about. Uh, the rich people do not fare well. It is really extremely difficult for, uh, to rich, for rich people in the Gospel of Luke to, to be able to part with their things. Uh, we have the story of the blind beggar in Luke uh, 18. He was just healed by Jesus. 
to, uh, like I said last week, we read the story about the Pharisees and the tax collector. Uh, the tax collector, though, this is the first time in Luke where we see this reversal, right? We see a bit of a reversal that we have a rich tax collector uh, who is actually the uh, good guy in the story. Um, so Jesus flips that in Luke 18. Um, the tax collector is the one that's actually able to humble himself and say, be merciful for me. Um, so that we know, uh, what we know about tax collectors is that they uh, worked for the oppressive Roman government, right? So they were uh, put in charge to go collect taxes uh, from the people. And Jewish tax collectors would have been sort of the lowest of low because not only did they support an oppressive government, but they would actually, you know, betray their own people uh, on behalf of a government that was oppressing them. So think loan shark mixed with money laundering, all backed by this uh, evil oppressive empire. So really not the, not the greatest guys. Um, so as we said, Zacchaeus runs the show in this particular region. Verse 3. So uh, Zacchaeus, uh, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a pretty little man, he couldn't see uh, because of the crowd. So verse 4, he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus who was about to pass by. So yeah, I always knew the song like the Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree. See what he could see? Yeah. <coughs> CDs are in the back. Um, so, uh, can we turn that into a metal track? Yeah, let's, let's, we'll talk after. All right. Um, so, I always like knew this, this text from that little song, uh, but what is, what's interesting, a few things are interesting just about this one particular uh, place is that um, one, the text really isn't making a comment about anyone's height. Like, the song would have you think otherwise, but this actually is a comment on it really is like he was diminished in stature. So, this could mean two things that uh, the crowd really thought low of Zacchaeus, so his stature in the community was diminished. It's not so much a comment on his height. That could be one way to read this that he couldn't see because. Uh, the people weren't allowing him to based on who he was, right? Uh, we already know because we've read the text that they thought he was a sinner. So perhaps they just weren't allowing. Maybe that was his diminished stature. Uh, I also read uh, another theologian that made the comment that this actually, uh, in the original text, could read more like Jesus was the wee little man, which I think is a really interesting particular text. Like, if we, if we look at this, like, he was trying to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So it would really work either way that if Jesus was short, uh, you, you wouldn't, if you were in a crowd, be able to see Jesus. And so you would, might have to climb up the tree in order to see uh, Jesus, which kind of makes, makes us maybe a little bit uncomfortable to think of Jesus as like this Danny DeVito sort of character. Um, because we... I mean, naturally, we want Jesus to kind of look like this, don't we? I mean, if we're all really honest. Uh, there should be a... Well, you'll see it probably in a, in a second. So we all have this vision of Jesus that I feel like it's sort of this, like... I think that is Jesus. You never saw that picture? Yeah, it's a historical account, Philip. All right. You should look it up online. That's Jesus. No. But don't, but I mean, honestly, like, wouldn't we love, we kind of would love to, like, our heroes are always, like, the big, strong type. Uh, and we might think it's kind of silly to kind of question or think that theologically the height of Jesus really has, 
any importance in this discussion, but it, I think it does is worth at least reflecting on uh, because it says a bit what we think about our theology, how we view uh, body image, uh, how does our uh, view of one's body affect how we view uh, the divine. This may be something worth uh, thinking. Would Jesus' physical stature change the way you think about God? It, it might be uh, something to think about. Uh, verse 5, let's go on. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay at your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, he's gone to be the guest of the sinner. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Now look in the bulletin. I should use this one. Uh, Look in the bulletin, verse, what is it, verse 8. This is important, I think. Is the RSV is what the bulletin, uh, what version is in the bulletin. In the RSV, by all accounts, is uh, a good translation. Uh, Jesse loves the RSV. Uh, I read, the, like, whenever I had to type papers to school, Ryan knows, the NRSV is a really uh, commonly used uh, book for academics to use. Uh, but what the CEB, which is the one that's up here, uh, gets right about this text, and what the RSV and the NRSV get wrong, which the whole passage hinges on. Our interpretation today is all about verse 8, so look at verse 8. In the uh, RSV, I'll read it, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone, I will pay back four times as much. And uh, in some verses, they use, so this is sort of a present future. Like they kind of use both. I give uh, to the poor, and if I have it defrauded anyone, I will pay back. Uh, a lot of translations will say, I will, give, uh, I will give half of my possessions to the poor. But if you look at the CEB up here, um, Zacchaeus stops and says to the Lord, look, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. In the standard, and maybe you've heard this story preached on or talked about before, the standard interpretation is, oh, well, Jesus comes in in his radical hospitality, comes to Zacchaeus and says, you know, may I come to your house and stay? And this Zacchaeus is so transformed by this radical hospitality that he has this transforming moment and says, I will give half of my possessions to the poor. I will repay four times as much if I've cheated anyone. But what I, what I found in, in this uh, CEB translation, which I, I believe works for what he's doing here, Zacchaeus, the people grumble. They say he's gone to be, at the, uh, to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus is hopped down from the tree, but they're, still, they're all still there. And he's not having a moment of repentance here. He's defending himself. Um, the, what I think is interesting about the RSV, if you look here, it says um, Zacchaeus stood there and said, the CEV just says he stopped and said, he's, he stands there right as he comes down from the tree and he hears all of the people grumbling about him. And he says, look, I give half of my possessions to the poor and 
I return them four times as much if I've defrauded anyone. So this isn't so much a moment of repentance, but a defense of who Zacchaeus is, right? Now, this, this obviously changes the way we think about this text. It changes the interpretation. If Zacchaeus has already been transformed, uh, it really throws off this, oh, well, he had a moment of repentance, and, you know, the story is over. Um, so it has to, we have to ask the question, how can one be a tax collector? How can one be uh, someone who is part of an oppressive system, an oppressive government, uh, all the people there find him and think of him as a person that harms their way of life extremely. Right? They don't. They don't like him. They're grumbling. They consider him a sinner, and he defends himself. If you if you have a Bible uh, or just want to follow along, Luke chapter three verse twelve, uh, I think may, maybe gives us a little bit of a clue into. Um, how Jesus may have viewed uh, tax collectors in a different way. We have a story here of John the Baptist and the tax collector. Uh, so <coughs> John is uh, in this chapter is baptizing people, and tax collectors are coming to be baptized. And verse 12 says, even tax collectors, even the bad guys are coming to be baptized. And they ask John, who we know John is, uh, you know, sort of the forebearer of the person of Jesus here, uh, they asked John, as tax collectors, teacher, what should we do? So they have this moment of conflict because they are having a transformative moment and they realize, okay, well, I have a problem here. I work for an oppressive government. This is in direct conflict to what is now happening. The trajectory, the trajectory of my life is going in this direction and I realize that uh, my occupation doesn't really fit that mold very well. And here's what John says, verse 13. He said, uh, Collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. Uh, soldiers also asked them, what, sh what should we do? Um, so here you have the soldiers uh, also having this same sort of internal conflict of, of their occupation. He says, uh, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation. Be satisfied with your wages. Uh, so it's fascinating that John, he doesn't say, everyone stop being a tax collector or a soldier immediately. No, he says, be fair. Continue to do your job, continue to do your work, uh, but be fair. Uh, so the law at this point, uh, the Jewish law would require you to uh, give 10% uh, of your income. It would also require you, if you had defrauded anyone, to return it two times. And so essentially you have now, in our story, Zacchaeus, who's this ruler of the tax collectors, he's defending himself, basically saying, I don't give 10%, I give half of everything I own to the poor, and I don't return two times, I return four times as much. So he's, he's defending himself in the same sort of way. I mean, I can almost imagine, um, obviously this is, is reading into the story, but Zacchaeus has already been transformed. I mean, perhaps he was one that was baptized at some somewhere along the way, told to uh, continue to to do what you do, continue to be a tax collector, but go above and beyond. Um, you know, Jesus. I don't even know. I, you know, I'm kind of thinking of Jesus at one point says, uh, you know, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. And in many ways, Zacchaeus is right there doing it. 
His righteousness goes above and beyond what the law, you know, the letter of the law says for it to do. And I, I wonder for us uh, this morning, um, as opposed to looking at this message as uh, something of, oh, well, you know, we all uh, have some Zacchaeus in us. Let's all, like, realize our trans- either our past transformation or, or be transformed. Um, but I feel like the, the question for us today is, uh, we are so quick to exclude people from God's kingdom. You know, how many times have we made judgments about others or ourselves in order to diminish one stature? Um, do we judge certain people today based upon their occupation, um, like the grumblers did in this story? Uh, we just finished last week's story in which we had a Pharisee as the grumbler. And now the people in this story are obviously following that. Uh, radical love and the type of radical love and the hospitality that Jesus extends here is one that um, goes beyond even to someone who, who is, appears to be an oppressor of, of people in society. Um, this doesn't condone oppression or take it lightly at all. And I think obviously if you know me, that's not what I'm saying here at all. Uh, rather that the radical hospitality and neighborliness uh, that we uh, see even as perceived oppressors, we have to see them first as humans. Um, people created in the image of God, which is a hard thing to do. Um, but I believe this ultimately serves the purpose of protest and peace with greater efficiency and effectiveness. I mean, you have like North Dakota, right? The national media is not covering North Dakota at all. I only saw like one real CNN piece on it. The LA Times had an article yesterday or on Friday about the 141 protesters being put into dog kennels. Did you guys see that? Um, so they're, they're hosing these people down uh, with pepper spray, tasers, rubber bullets, all of this stuff, arresting 141 people, throwing them into dog kennels, and none of the national media is covering it, right? Right, obviously, like, we, we, we understand how things work in our country, right? We, we know that money is tied up between um, massive uh, energy conglomerates, and a lot of those na- national in- energy conglomerates own uh, stock and stake in our national media, right? So this complicates that entire process. This is not going to be a rant on the media or uh, our government, but just... We have, to, we have to find creative ways to look at protests, protesters, and the people that we perceive to be oppressors in society, and one, make sure that we are not making snap judgments on people that we uh, perceive to be the Zacchaeuses of the world, right? And then two, we have to find creative ways to uh, liberate the oppressor, right? Sometimes we have to think of creative ways to not uh, we talk about liberating the oppressed and God and the God of the Bible being the God of the oppressed. That's a very common theme. But we have to be creative enough to, to see that Jesus liberates the oppressors. Jesus comes for the poor, and he also comes to liberate the tax collectors. Not to obliterate their occupations altogether, but to transform them within their current occupation. And we have to be that radical and that creative as well. Um, there is a quote that I came across today, uh, or I came across this week, that um, is from uh, a black theologian named James Cone, 
And he says, you know, the gospel of liberation is, is bad news to all oppressors because they have defined their freedom in terms of the slavery, the slavery of others. All right, they have defined their freedom in terms of the slavery of others. And then Nelson Mandela has this great, uh, great little blurb about how he perceived uh, his uh, oppressors when he was in prison. Okay, and I'm going to read this whole thing uh, because I think it really applies well to our topic today. He says, I always knew that deep down in every human heart there is mercy and generosity. No one is born hating another person because of the color of their skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Even in the grimmest times in prison when my comrades and I were pushed to our limits, I would see a glimmer of humanity in one of my, uh, a glimmer of humanity in one of the guards, perhaps just for a second. But it was enough to reassure me to keep going. Man's goodness is a flame that can be hidden but never extinguished. It was during those long and lonely hours that my hunger for freedom, for the freedom of my own people, became a hunger and a hunger for freedom of all people, white and black. I knew as well as I knew, I knew as well as I knew anything that the oppressor must also be liberated just as surely as the oppressed. A man who takes away another man's freedom is a prisoner of hatred. He is locked behind the bars of prejudice and narrow-mindedness. I am not truly free if I am taking away someone else's freedom, just as I surely am not free when my freedom is taken away from me. The oppressed and the oppressor alike are robbed of their humanity. When I walked out of prison, that was my mission, to liberate both the oppressed and the oppressor. Some say that that has now been achieved, but I know that that is not the case. We have not taken the final step of our journey, but the first step on a longer, even more difficult road. For to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. The true test of our devotion, of our devotion to freedom, is just now beginning. If we pick up this uh, in verse 9 um, and finish this out this morning, uh, Jesus said, today salvation has come to this household because he too is the son of Abraham. The human one has come to seek and save the lost. So as uh, grumblers, people that, that grumble, uh, we all do it. Uh, we actually, the last time we heard people grumble in, in the Gospel of Luke was a couple of weeks ago we were reading Luke 15 and we had the, the parable of uh, the prodigal son, the lost sheep, and the lost coin. And at the beginning of that parable, uh, it says the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes and others were grumbling. Um, at the end of all of those parables, they all end the same way. There's something lost that was now found. And we have that same thing happen in, in the story with Zacchaeus. There's a grumbling there is something that has been lost and now is found. So as we leave this place this morning, uh, maybe we look inward a little bit and ask, uh, who do we grumble at today? How can we be creatively involved in liberating uh, both the oppressed and the oppressor in our society? And uh, I'll close with a quote uh, from uh, Henry Nouwen, um, Catholic uh, priest. 
we are the beloved. We are intimately loved long before our parents, teachers, spouses, children, and friends loved or wounded us. That's the truth of our lives. That's the truth I want to claim. I want you to claim for yourself. That's the tr truth spoken by the voice that says, you are my beloved. I've called you by name from the very beginning. You're mine. I am yours. You are my beloved. On you, my favor rests. I have molded you in the depths of the earth and knitted you together in your mother's womb. I have carved you in the palm of my hand and hidden you in the shadow of my embrace. I look at you with infinite tenderness and care for you with the care of a most intimate than that of a mother for her child. I have counted every hair on your head and guided you every step. Wherever you go, I go with you. Wherever you rest, I keep watch. I will give you food that will satisfy your hunger and drink that will quench your thirst. I will not hide my face from you. You know me as your own, and I know you as my own. You belong to me. I am your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your lover, your spouse, and yes, even your child. Wherever you are, I will be. Nothing will ever separate us. We are one. Every time you listen with great attentiveness to the voice that calls you the beloved, you will discover yourself within yourself, a desire to hear that voice longer and more deeply. It's like discovering a well in the desert. Once you have touched what ground you want to dig deeper. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that you see us, find us wherever we are today. If we're up in a tree, if we're in the crowd, if we're grumbling. You call us to um, a closer, more intimate relationship with you in a way that um, is really incomprehensible to us, uh, one that involves uh, more radical love than we can really ever muster, even on our best days. even as we take time this morning to uh, look inward, to um, question our views about how we, how we see the world, how we see those in our community. We pray that you would, uh, you would be present within us, present within our lives, uh, that you would guide us to, to be more artful, more creative, more loving, uh, more gracious, even if it's for stupid things like um, being nice to a coworker or um, that coworker that we really don't like, um, or if it's uh, writing a song or uh, starting a creative project that we uh, have always wanted to do, but there was something within us that said, "Eh, I don't know if anybody will be that interested." That you would stir the passions within us, the ones that. Uh, kind of lay dormant for a while. We pray that you put a, a fire within us to liberate both the oppressed and the oppressor. 
for calling us yours, uh, no matter what our background is and no matter what our jobs are. Uh, you just call us to be transformed. You invite yourself over. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and we'll close with a song. Let's ask the Lord to change us from the inside out.